Father, we uh, thank you for this time where we can gather this morning to uh, listen to your word. We pray, Father, for the teachers that you've sent us, that they would speak um, for you, that you would speak, use them and speak through them, and we come together to worship you and to praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. For those of you who uh, don't know me, I'm Dave McGuire. Um, I'm uh, going to be talking today on Ro- Romans 8. Uh, I've been thinking this week a lot about assurance of salvation, about uh, progressive sanctification, um, uh, connected with some larger family stuff. And so uh, as I was thinking about that, um, I wanted to you know, sort of walk through Paul's use of progressive sanctif- uh, sanctification to really assure us not only of our pardon, uh, but assure us of our, our salvation. Uh, so to begin, reading from Romans 8, this is, these are verses 9 through 17. Uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwell in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified, uh, we, we may also be glorified with him. So we're talking about two natures here. Now we're talking about a sinful nature and a regenerate nature. And we're going to come back over and over again when we walk through uh, this process with Paul, uh, this dichotomy. These two, um, we're going to see it in sinfulness and regeneration. We're going to see it in uh, flesh and spirit. Uh, these things uh, come up over and over again as a, uh, a conflict. And there are, uh, as we see within uh, the church itself, you know, as we walk in our daily lives, we see, we come across four different types of people. Uh, a non-regenerate person who knows it. And we know a lot of these folks, right? We, we know uh, those of us who are regenerate and know it, have an assurance of our salvation. Uh, those who are regenerate and doubt it because of A, poor, te- poor teaching in the church, because of B, um, their own internal struggles that, uh, that sort of don't, um, uh, in, in a sinful way, uh, don't listen to the teachings of Scripture which assure us of our salvation. And then a fourth type of person, uh, the non-regenerate person who believes that they are. So um, each of these uh, with each of these folks, the body is still subject to death. And what we need to realize then is that Christ uh, makes our, our spirits um, to live through his spirit. Um, we uh, see in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, or the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the Lord of the spirit is, there is freedom. So when we are looking at the work of the spirit progressively in our lives, we're looking, uh, we're seeing that the, the spirit is distinct from the son, uh, but his work there is inexorably tied uh, to the Son, um, and he works closely with Christ's resurrection to apply his resurrection to us. The believer, um, the, the believer is guaranteed the resurrection of our bodies, see, uh, the, through the indwelling of the Spirit. John Murray said, uh, the believer's once-for-all death to the law and sin does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin in his members. It makes it necessary and possible to do so. So when we begin to see uh, that, um, that we have been freed from this, uh, this oppressive, this bondage to sin, uh, we are then freed to begin the activity of mortifying sin, of putting sin to death. You see back in uh, verses 12 and 13 there in, in chapter 8 of Romans, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. These verses reflect activity. Then from, the, from this state where we understand that the Spirit is applying the resurrection of Christ to our spirits, we then are spurred on to activity. Debt in that uh, situation, we are debtors not of, to the flesh to, but, to the, but to alive to the Spirit. That debt is an obligation that we then owe. And, but that obligation does not arise out of needing to work for our salvation. It doesn't arise out of a sense that um, we, are, uh, we are progressively making ourselves better, but rather it arises from the, uh, from the, the gratitude that we express. It still doesn't disobligate us from it, though. So, and what, what we need to understand is, it is it's not... Um, uh, not a, a, uh, optional to do so, not optional to express our gratitude through the work that we are doing to put sin to death. Um, this is an ongoing thing. It reflects sort of an ongoing process, that progressive sanctification that we were talking about, and it also um, is a, it, it's not something that can be done in a vacuum. We're going to revisit this as we go on, but this is why monastic tradition is so dangerous um, because it, it says if I only isolate myself, and, and what we t would tend to do as well is want to isolate ourselves. If we, don't, uh, if we just don't see the world, if we uh, just don't uh, see the billboards on Las Vegas Boulevard as we drive down it, you know, or if we just don't watch uh, you know, the TV ever, then we can escape from and, and isolate ourselves and, and work to better ourselves that way, and that simply is wrong and doesn't work. And we see that in Mark chapter 7 when Christ says, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see whatever go, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, uh, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. So when we seek to isolate ourselves and try to make ourselves better, it doesn't work because the evil is inside of us already. And that is what the Spirit of God puts to death. And, and as we get then uh, increasingly sanctified, we begin to put uh, that, that sense of, uh, of sin to death in us as well. That is, um, that we, our battle is not without. Our battle isn't, you know, the devil made me do it. Our battle is within, it is to mortify that uh, sinful nature. So, I want to turn to verse 14 of uh, Romans 8. Therefore, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I, I thought a lot about being led by the Spirit this week. And I've thought a lot about being led by the Spirit um, my whole life because it was a constant term in the um, you know, Pentecostal and, and charismatic uh, congregations that I grew up in, and they would talk all the time about being led by the Spirit. The pastor would sit down at the piano, and he would play for 45 minutes, and, uh, you know, the same chorus over and over again, and, you know, he said he was led by the Spirit to do so, or they would, he would, um, uh, he, he would sit down, and during the sermon, just sit down there on the, on the platform, and then he would go begin speaking in tongues because he was led by the Spirit to do so. So I'm, curi- I was, I was curious, what, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And does that Spirit then cause you to do things that would seem contrary to you know, the orderly uh, worship in the church? And I see, I see here, like, so in essence, what I was, what I was pondering was, is w- when we think about uh, being led by the Spirit, how much of that is charismatic jargon? Um, and that, that, is, that is why, so what we, what we need to then consider is, how does being led by the Spirit, how does that, um, uh, how does that work itself out in our lives? Uh, I want to look at um, Hosea. This is uh, Hosea 1.10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured and, or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And then John, or, yeah, John 1, uh, verses 12 and 13 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when we look at being led by the Spirit, I think the picture that we should get is not a burning feeling, or uh, what we should understand is it is, um, the, the picture is more the Israelites in the wilderness, following the, cl- the pillar of cloud, following the pillar of fire. This is what being led by the Spirit looks like, is that we are conforming then to the will of God, following that Spirit. We are also uh, understanding that it is leading us to Sinai, is leading us then to the will of God and leading us to the law of God. 
that we, um, that we then will see our own sin reflected in us um, and seek to kill it then. Um, so what we see that being led by the Spirit is not a, uh, not sort of, again, a, a feeling, it can be a feeling, I'm not discounting feelings, I'm not discounting emotions, but it is rather a legal change in relationship, that we are no longer led by the flesh and no longer uh, are uh, debtors to the flesh, but rather uh, we are, uh, are, the change in relationship there is reflected when uh, Paul talks about believers as being able then to uh, cry, Abba, Father, in verse 15. This reflects... um, the way that Christ, when he was asking that the cup pass from him, also cries, Abba, Father. And so the ability that we have to also cry, Abba, Father, means a a change in relationship uh, from one of enmity with the Father uh, to one of close relationship, intimate relationship. And this is the vivid union with Christ uh, in assurance of our relationship with him. So this shows us that we can speak in the same way and pray in the same way that Christ does to the Father, with the Father, because of our, our, uh, our, conti- our vivid union with him. It is the, uh, the cup that was poured out on Christ, ironically, that wrath of God that is meant for us to the person who has the right to call him Abba Father, uh, that then gives us the ability to do that. Um, it is uh, moving on a little bit further. Um, it's verse uh, 15, but you have received the spirit of adoption, oh, a little bit back up, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So this is v- contrary to, oh, go ahead, Ralph. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I know about Pentecost, I know about Charismatics, and and, and and I and I don't know where it fits, but this guy on TV was saying, you know, and, and I respect him; he's, he's fairly reformed. He says, "Well, you know, after you, you know, after you are converted, you'll receive gifts. You know, you didn't have a gift. You'll just boom. You'll just get this gift." And I, I guess my question is, for the Charismatics, that instantly get this huge rush of excitement and stuff to the people that go, no, 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 big deal. Where is, where is, where is the, the reality between those, those two things? And, and, and do you have a feeling that, you know, what, the day you're converted, God gives you a spiritual gift that you didn't have before? That troubled me. I, I yeah, I, you know, I mean, the Lord certainly is able to do whatever he wills. I'm sorry? Oh, sorry, of course. Uh, so Ralph's question had to do uh, around um, the, uh, the levels of enthusiasm through different, uh, different traditions. If I, was that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's happened, you know, obviously, yeah. obviously it was the day of Pentecost. Okay, I got that. But I, I don't, I don't, is, is that what everyone? Well, I, I, I think, 
So there, there are some, there are competing, of course, um, uh, interpretations of what the tongues of fire are at Pentecost, and what uh, I mean, I, we all agree that it is the the Holy Spirit, the Helper, uh, coming to um, Christ's church. Uh, but I think that you know there there's some uh, some indicate. I mean, all indications are that these were either languages that people understood. They weren't uh, unknown languages or prayer languages or that kind. Of, they were, um, and in some uh, some circles, and I admit this is a, a it's a minority report. I uh, would say that um, the languages of the people were that everyone understood was really just Koinonia Greek. That you know, this was the common tongue that was spoken, and all of a sudden, these guys were preaching the word of God in Koinonia Greek, which they already knew. So it was not the language that they would have been uh, used to hearing, um, used to preach either in Hebrew or in Aramaic, but it was this Koinonia Greek to say that. And the picture there is that God expands uh, his, uh, you know, the his people to include the Gentiles. If that. I mean, unless somebody else would like to jump in. Pastor? Uh, Pentecost was a reversal of that power that mm. But also uh, gathered at that time in Jerusalem where people from all over. And so I think each man heard in his own language. Yeah. I would, I would lean that way as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is certainly able to uh, work miracles and um, the Holy Spirit is uh, certainly able to grant us whatever uh, power he deems is necessary for us to uh, fulfill uh, God's will. Um, I, I, but you know, as to whether or not there is at conversion um, sort of an adding, I mean, the, the washing away of our sins perhaps will, um, uh, and our... our uh, our ability then to fight sin might amplify gifts that we already had. I, you know, I mean, um, the, we're certainly, uh, our, our personalities don't, um, uh, like, yeah. Yeah, okay, and I, I feel you, I feel you. But yeah, I mean, there, there I think is, uh, um, uh, there's opportunity then to use uh, the gifts that God has given us in a, uh, in a beneficial way. I th- if that if that satisfies what you're asking, yeah. I think the more important thing in those traditions, and I was saying in that tradition, is that sometimes they have a view of the spirit coming later in life. Yes. Justification, and that that's a much more serious error. I agree. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was I was saved there uh, in that tradition as well, and and I, I praise God for it. Um, okay, so we were talking about the vivid union. Um, and we were talking about that, the legal concept, it's a Gentile legal concept of adoption uh, that, uh, that uh, Paul is talking about there in, in verse 15. Um, verse 16, uh, the Holy Spirit and our spirit uh, are joint in the proclamation that we are no longer uh, slaves to sin, that we are no longer debtors to sin, but rather uh, we, are, we are alive in Christ. And so the, um, uh, I, I love the the wording there, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that he and I are standing side by side proclaiming that the old man is dead and the new man now is able not to sin. Um, 
Yeah, so, if, and I'm sure that everybody knows ABBA is a, it's a nursery term. It's, it, it's sort of, like, it, and it reflects sort of a, a baby's ability to go ABBA, 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 ABBA. And so it's, it's daddy in, uh, in Aramaic. Um, the Spirit takes what Paul says externally, that we have been legally justified, and uh, then internalizes it. Right? So the Spirit says, takes that justification that has been granted us and it, it internalizes it so that we are assured of our relationship with Christ, that we are heirs with Christ, that we are assured of our sonship, that we are adopted by God, and we are assured then of our salvation because one cannot necessarily follow um, without the other. We are fellow heirs with Christ. What uh, Christ achieved through his accomplishment in living a perfect life and in dying our deserved death is imputed to us uh, through the Spirit. And that is, I'd like to read now Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and, you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is an accomplishment for the whole world uh, that is then drawn to Christ uh, and from each and every tribe and nation. Um, so we can be assured because of the evidence that we've been given that Christ has been raised from the dead, uh, that he uh, lived that perfect life, that he died to the death that we deserve to, to die, so that we then can have that assurance of our relationship with him and with the Father. But God doesn't leave us there to rely on ourselves. Uh, he calls us to new life. So God gives us the positive, which is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our renewed spirit, to resist the negative, which is living according to the flesh. It is not, though, empty positivity. And I've been reflecting a lot on empty positivity these last couple of weeks because at work they're having a, the leadership group go through a book called The Energy Bus. And I don't know if you have read the book The Energy Bus, but um, I don't like it. Um, it is full of platitudes and empty spirituality. Uh, the, there, there are 10 rules. I haven't gotten through all the rules, guys, so maybe it takes a hard left turn at some point. But uh, the, the first rule is be the driver of your own bus. Now, in about the middle of the book, of course, the, the analogy begins to break down because you're asking other people to get on the bus with you. But how can they be on your bus if they're driving their own buses? Uh, you know, then, you know, so I, it, it's, this is, uh, it's, it's, this book has been off, off for me. It's, it's the, the whole idea of being able to, um, just through sheer willpower, encourage positive things to happen, or, um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's faux spirituality, puts you in the place of the creator, um, and then this book is full of empty faux spirituality, which is something I pointed out in the book study. So um, my boss uh, actually picked the book, so that's why I crossed my fingers. Um, my, uh, 
you can see that it, one, one of the things the, the bus driver, who is, of course, our uh, you know, uh, narrator on this journey, um, says is, like, is uh, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> and I was like, well, why? Who, who, who says? And what, what, what is the reason? And, and do we, like, but we are the drivers of our own bus. So is it us who is you know, setting these reasons that, uh, that, we, uh, uh, that life is all about? And, and how can I call Walt into my life for a reason if I don't know Walt, right? I, these things, and then um, he's having a, a dream, and his bus is, uh, of course, about to uh, crash, about to fall off a cliff, and, and a hand reaches out of nowhere and, and grabs the bus and puts it back on the road and says, uh, you know, just keep going or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but it w- I, I was, whose hand was that? And I, I asked, and I was, I was, whose hand is that? And they were like, well, it was a dream. I said, it was a dream inside an allegory. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> so we are not able to make our own reality. Uh, Paul underlines um, that, it, that this is reality, and he sort of reflects, and I think a very meaningful way, and I, the more I think about Christianity, the more I think that it presents reality in a realistic way. Because when you think about the blind faith of the people who we work with and we talk with and walk around with, and the blind faith they have that life has a purpose for them. Why? The, the faith that they have that karma exists, so this cold, caringless, meaningless, accidental universe somehow developed a personality that's going to reward you for doing good things and punish that other guy for doing that bad thing that one time. That's not reality. The other, and, I, and I said this to, to my friend, I, like, that's how I define karma, and I said, you're living a blind faith. And, the, and this other guy says, well, I mean, but she doesn't believe in God. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but Paul contrasts this. He, he understands reality and presents reality in, in a realistic way, in a way that we, that we know is, uh, there is a competition within us, and we feel that competition every day. The f- we, we see on a large scale Paul setting up this idea that there's competition between the flesh and spirit, but this is, at a, co- this is a cosmic a cosmic divide and a cosmic level is bondage to the flesh and freedom in the spirit. And then he internalizes it and puts it on an in intimate and personal picture of the daily struggle that we have in sanctifying and being sanctified and in uh, mortifying, putting to death our sins. So he doesn't leave us with sort of that high... The, the, the high, where's Joe, big data view of, um, uh, of, the, this, uh, of this conflict, he internalizes it. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has five uh, R's, because pastors love alliteration, five R's on how to, in a daily walk, um, r- progressively sanctify and understand our relationship with God and apply it then uh, to our life. We are to recognize the enmity between the spirit and the flesh. This is an urgent thing. 
It's a thing of great magnitude within us. So we, we cannot sit back and rest on our laurels in the morning because, you know, we, that we don't feel like sinning that day. That, that's just going to come naturally. So we have to recognize the urgency and immediacy of our need to be self-reflective, to understand that, you know, we are making the, we are making the conscious choice to draw ourselves nearer and nearer to reflecting the God. We are to remember your new status in Christ. So our new status is one of sonship and one of inexorable sonship. Cannot, what, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. What can separate us from God? Nothing. Our relationship is set. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. We to realize our calling. Romans thirteen fourteen says, <clears throat> But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Putting on Christ is to live by the Spirit, to not gratify the flesh. Um, St. Patrick put it very well, I bind this day to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on, cr- on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spiced tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the end of doom, I bind, myse- I bind to myself today. We are, it is, it is a, a change in, put it, Putting on Christ is a change in our, under, our outlook on daily living. It's a, a change uh, that we are binding uh, Christ to us and, and conforming our, our will to his then. We are to, number four, respond sensitively to the Spirit. Because as we have been adopted uh, into a family... So when you are adopted, you're not just, uh, you, you become a part of this family. And so as uh, our identity then changes from a child of wrath to a child of grace, our identity changes and we uh, now have a family identity. This is a fa- one, one which seeks after the approval of its father. And the, the frown of the father then becomes uh, the, 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 most, the thing we fear most. And thus, then, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Because when we fear that we will disappoint God, we seek wisdom, we seek his, and wisdom is his will. So we are led by the Spirit. <clears throat> and we are led into the will of the Father because the Spirit and the Father share the same will. Finally, five, reap what you sow. This is Galatians 6. 7 through 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We produce the fruit of the Spirit when we offer ourselves and ask what will please him. What pleases the Spirit? What pleases, so seeking after the will of the, Fa- of the Spirit seeks after the will of the Father and helps us to say, this is not something I should be doing. 
this is something that doesn't reflect the character of God, and so thus it'll disappoint God, and will thus be contrary to the identity that I've been given as the son of God, or a child of God. So sanctification is not individualistic. It doesn't occur in a vacuum like we were talking about. It takes, it is all of us, all who are in the family then, to come together and to hold each other accountable and to understand that this is not an in individual, isolated thing. It is rather a process that we're all walking through together uh, so that we can urge each other forward uh, and urge each other on uh, to the glory of God. That's all I have. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, thank you for the enormous gift of your son. Thank you that we have uh, been uh, bound to him, that his uh, spirit indwells our spirit, and that we stand side by side with your spirit to proclaim ourselves uh, children of grace. And we uh, are eternally grateful for your grace, your son, uh, your life, your spirit. Um, please sanctify us, God. Help us to hold one another accountable. Um, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.